0: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and this is Mythology, the Parcast original that explores humanity's oldest stories. Today we're continuing our retelling of Virgil's Aeneid. This is the third entry in a four-part series, so if you haven't listened to parts one and two yet, make sure you go back and start from the beginning, and tune in this Thursday for the exciting conclusion. I'm narrating the story from the perspective of Venus, the Roman goddess of love. As Aeneas' devoted mother, she was determined to protect her son at whatever the cost. But with Juno, the queen of the gods, hell-bent on keeping Aeneas from his destiny, that cost was only getting higher. And now, part three of The Aeneid. My son was home. For nearly ten years, he'd wandered in exile, a refugee of Troy. He'd seen many things, strange lands, fearsome monsters, even the black halls of Hades. Through it all, I had kept close watch, shepherded him from one danger to the next, until at last he reached the shores of Italy." When he stood on that green hill, overlooking the fields that would hold his future city, his heart rejoiced. I was glad for him, but I cannot say I shared his jubilation. My own heart ached with the knowledge that I had not led him to safety, but to his greatest trial yet. The land the Fates had chosen for the Trojans was not without inhabitants. The people who lived there were known as the Latins after their king, Latinus, and in his honor they called their kingdom Latium. Latinus did not have a male heir, but he did have a daughter named Lavinia. Suitors came in droves from every corner of Italy to woo her. When Lavinia grew tired of them, she would sneak out of the palace and take refuge in the woods around the city. On one such morning, the princess was bathing in the cool waters of the Tiber when she heard the sound of horses approaching. She had just enough time to clamber onto the shore and dress herself before the riders came charging out of the woods. The leader spotted Lavinia and pulled up on his reins, coming to a halt in front of the dripping princess. Lavinia stared back at the riders, eyeing their swords and helmets. She'd never seen Trojan armor before, but she had heard about the foreigners who had arrived from across the sea. Ever since word of the strangers had reached Latium, her mother had become terrified that the invaders would attack during the night. I didn't mean to alarm you, said Aeneas, removing his helmet. I'm afraid my comrades and I are quite lost. Are we far from Laurentum? Not far, she replied calmly. Laurentum is my home. Would you like me to show you the way? Aeneas thanked the maiden for her kindness and dismounted, offering her his saddle. He walked alongside the horse as she directed. Lavinia's mind raced. There had been no time to think through the plan, and now there was no turning back. She would lead them deeper into the forest, get them lost, then double back to the city to warn her father. She just had to keep them occupied until she could slip away. Trying not to seem too interested, Lavinia asked the riders what had brought them to Laurentum. We're on our way to deliver peace offerings to King Latinus. "'Aeneas told her. "'My people have just arrived on these shores after a long and arduous journey. "'I wish to dispel any fears he may have about our intentions.' "'And what are your intentions?' Lavinia pressed. "'Peace,' he said earnestly. "'Though I'm not sure the king will believe it. "'I know what it's like to see your beaches teeming with foreign warriors.' Then he told her about his former home, how he'd watched from the walls of Troy as the Greek fleet approached, how the invaders had laid siege to his city for almost a decade. He told her about Achilles, the nigh unkillable Greek who had slaughtered so many of his comrades. After he killed the Trojan prince Hector, Achilles had dragged the young man's corpse behind his chariot for hours. It was not enough to take Hector's life, Aeneas explained. Achilles desecrated his body to ensure that his soul would wait on the banks of the Styx for centuries, unable to cross into Elysium. That is the work of a conqueror, a man driven by glory and pride. I did not cross the world to become a conqueror. I came to escape them. Lavinia considered the expression behind Aeneas's furrowed brow and unkempt beard. She saw years of sadness and struggle in his eyes, and despite herself, she trusted him. "'I think we took a wrong turn,' she said, adjusting course." Lavinia led them out of the forest and all the way to Laurentum, Once she reached the city gates, Aeneas thanked her and bid her farewell. "'I hope the king will listen to what you have to say,' she told him. "'I'm sure he wants peace as much as you do.' Aeneas prayed that she was right. But when he finally stood before King Latinus with his gifts spread before him, he wasn't so sure. The king sat motionless on his throne, unmoving, watching Aeneas with an inscrutable stare. The queen was less difficult to read. He's obviously lying, she snapped. This pirate would have us open our gates so he can butcher us in the night. Latinus motioned for silence. I have had strange dreams of late, said the king in a hoarse whisper, clouded by omens. I consulted an oracle. Do you know what she told me? Aeneas did not know how to answer. She told me, the old king continued, that a stranger would come from across the sea, that he would take my daughter as his wife and claim my kingdom for his own. Aeneas's mouth fell open. King Latinus, he pleaded, I swear on my honor, I did not come here to steal your daughter, nor to make a claim on your throne. Latinus rose and descended from the dais. Then, to Aeneas's great surprise, the king embraced him. "'My boy,' he laughed, "'the gods have decreed that our families shall be joined. I do not need your offerings. It is enough that the gods vouch for you. There is only one person you need to impress.' King Latinus gestured to the end of the hall, where a figure had just entered. Aeneas stared in astonishment. The woman from the forest stood before him, her eyes sparkling with delight. "'I'm afraid we've already met,' Lavinia said with a smile, "'and I am quite impressed.'" How I laughed to see my son's surprise then. The knowledge that a new home awaited him in Italy had sustained Aeneas for many years, but I had managed not to spoil this part of his destiny. Lavinia was perfect, bold and resolute, and she loved Latium ferociously. As I watched their joyous celebration that evening, I knew that the fates could not have chosen a better partner for my son. But I was not the only one watching. I heard Juno's howl of rage from across Olympus. Certain that my son was the subject of her anger, I crept to her chambers and knelt outside the door to listen. So the Trojan arrives at his destination and is handed a queen, she snarled. After he cast Dido to the pyre like so much kindling, the fates conspire against me, but I'm not defeated yet. Let Aeneas have his bride and throne. I'll give him a dowry of Trojan blood. Until the nuptials are complete, I'll drag his name through the mud like Hector's corpse. Show him the anguish of dishonor. Let him become the very thing he hates most." And I know just the fiend to aid me in my task. If I cannot sway the heavens, then I shall raise the powers of hell. I hid myself as Juno came storming from her chambers. She flew from Olympus, descended to the earth, and then below it into the pit of Tartarus. A scream of primal rage echoed across the cosmos, and I knew which demon she had released. The Fury, Electo. Hateful is too good a word for that vile creature. I shudder to call her a goddess, for she has no place on Olympus. Even her father, Pluto, despises her, as do her sisters, She is the instigator of evil, the embodiment of wrath, condemned to Tartarus long ago, where she serves as a punisher of evildoers. I do not know what Juno said to make Electo abandon her post, but she bent to my stepmother's will. The fury rose from the abyss on leather wings, eyes weeping tears of blood— The serpents that adorn her scalp hissed with delight as she descended on the city of Laurentum. Queen Amada sat alone in her chambers, pondering the fate of her daughter. She did not hear the demon enter, nor did she see the serpent make its way across the carpet. It slithered up her chair and beneath her robes, emerging from her bodice to coil around her neck. In an instant, it transformed, becoming a golden band. A single bloody tear streaked down Amata's cheek. She flicked it away, then rose and went to her daughter's chamber. When the sun rose on Laurentum the next morning, both the queen and the princess were gone. Latinus ordered his men to scour the city and the forests but there was no sign of either of them. It did not take long for rumors to spread around the capital. Soon, everyone knew that the same night Amata and Lavinia had disappeared, a foreigner had visited the palace. Latinus could not believe the Trojans were responsible, but he could not ask for an explanation. Aeneas was already gone. After the break, Juno wreaks havoc on Aeneas's relationship with the Latins. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the story. My son's quest should have been over— He had arrived in Italy, befriended the King of the Latins, and won the heart of its princess. But Juno was not yet ready to admit defeat. She unleashed the fury Electo to cause strife between the Trojans and Latins. The Queen and the Princess vanished overnight, while Aeneas returned to his camp, none the wiser. He found the Trojans hard at work felling trees and dragging them to the campsite they had selected. Two sturdy wooden walls were already standing, and the lines for several more had been drawn. The men gathered around as Aeneas told them about his visit with King Latinus. Things have gone better than we could possibly have expected, he told them. I expect Latinus will be a true ally in the days to come. The Trojans cheered. But Aeneas looked around and frowned. Where is my son? He wondered. I found Ascanius prowling through a nearby forest, an arrow knocked on his bowstring. Hunting was my grandson's favorite pastime, and I had enjoyed watching him at it since he was a small boy. He moved effortlessly through the brush, as silently as any creature of the forest. The sound of laughter floated over the trees, and I saw Ascanius scowl. His friends Nisus and Euryalus had tagged along on the hunt. If he could hear their laughter, then any game could hear it too. I watched my grandson stalk deeper into the woods, fuming silently. I had little doubt what was bothering him. Aeneas had ordered Nisus and Euryalus not to let Ascanius leave the camp alone, My grandson had pointed out that Nisus and Euryalus were hardly any older than he was, but it hadn't mattered. His father still thought of him as a child. Boiling with anger, Ascanius stalked deeper into the forest. He made no efforts to quiet his footsteps, thinking that the hunt was already ruined, which made it even more surprising when he rounded a tree and locked eyes with a large stag. It was odd that the stag hadn't already bolted, but even stranger that it didn't seem frightened by his presence. Ascanius had no time to wonder what this might mean, however, because his arrow had already flown from his bow. The arrow struck true. The stag leapt and kicked and crashed to the ground with a pained grunt. Ascanius raced toward it, elated at his kill. But as he knelt beside its dying body, he sensed something amiss. The stag's fur was unusually soft, like that of a well-groomed mare, and around its neck was a thin collar. Ascanius did not hear the beating of Alecto's wings as she lifted from the trees above, or her laughter as she soared away. He was too focused on the dying stag, and then on the young man who suddenly came bursting through the trees. His eyes fell on Ascanius kneeling behind the stag, and he unleashed a guttural scream of anger and grief. The young man lifted his axe and charged. Ascanius stumbled backwards, accidentally dropping his quiver. He finally righted himself and fled. Glancing back, Ascanius saw that a dozen other figures had joined the chase. While Ascanius was faster, they were closing in on him from every angle, cutting off every avenue of escape. Ascanius's foot caught against a hidden branch, and he went down. But just when he thought his luck had run out... Help arrived. Nisus hurtled over Ascanius, crashing into the attacker and sending him staggering backwards. An instant later, Euryalus was helping Ascanius to his feet. He pressed a fresh quiver of arrows into the boy's hands. Keep your distance, he said, and take as many as you can. Then Euryalus drew his own sword and followed Nisus into the fray. Ascanius spotted the young man who had first come upon him, now charging for Euryalus with his axe raised, ready to strike. Ascanius raised his bow and let the arrow fly. "'A stag?' asked Aeneas, incredulous. Nisus, Euryalus, and Ascanius all stood before him, covered in dirt and blood. "'It seems it was a pet,' Euryalus explained solemnly. It belonged to the daughter of a local chief named Turnus. Somehow the animal got out of its pen. And the man who told you this? Aeneas pressed. We let him go, answered Nisus. Most of the others fled quickly. However, it seemed that Ternus' eldest son was killed. Ascanius stared at the ground, unable to meet his father's gaze. He waited for Aeneas to ask who had killed the man, but the question didn't come. We will send envoys to Turnus and Latinus, Aeneas said grimly. The grieving father will not forgive easily, but if he's loyal to the king, He was interrupted by the sound of the lookout's horn and turned to see a cavalry battalion racing toward them across the plains. The Trojans leapt into action, seizing spears and swords. Aeneas left his own behind and strode out to meet the riders. The leader came to a stop directly in front of Aeneas and the rest of the battalion followed suit. Aeneas stared up at the massive armor-clad warrior, Three thick plumes sprouted from his dark helmet and fell around his neck like a lion's mane. "'Where is she?' snarled the huge man, eyes sparking with menace. When Aeneas asked him who he meant, the warrior roared with laughter. "'Play coy if you like Trojan,' he said." It does not escape anyone that the queen and princess disappeared soon after your arrival in Latium. How odd that Lavinia did not mention you, Aeneas said, doing well to hide his surprise. Lavinia's disappearance was news to him. I have an understanding with the girl's mother, Turnus growled. His eyes shifted to the Trojan warriors, bristling with spears around the unfinished structure. "'Whatever has become of Lavinia, I doubt that you have her hidden away in that—do you call it a fort? I would see to the remaining walls before a light breeze blows it over. The Trojans and Latins will not be friends for long.' With that, he turned and rode toward Laurentum, taking his soldiers with him. Aeneas watched them go, pondering the warrior's words— Trouble, it seemed, had followed him to his new home. I paced in my chambers on Olympus, cursing my stepmother Juno's vile scheme. Aeneas had reached his home. He had met the woman he was destined to marry. Most importantly, I knew that his journey had changed him. He had everything he needed to rule, to lead the people who would become the Romans. Still, Juno would not submit. Her anger had poisoned the land. Word of the princess's disappearance and the death of Turnus's son spread through the tribes of Latium. Their leaders pressed the king to dispel the intruders, but Latinus refused. The Trojans had been sent by the gods, he insisted. They could not be responsible. But in the streets of Laurentum. The people howled for vengeance. If their king would not give it to them, they would find someone else who would. The doors of the city were thrown wide and the people greeted the Rutulian army with cheers. Turnus stood before the teeming masses, howling his proclamation. The Trojan invaders butcher your sons and kidnap your daughters. They would sully Latin blood with their own. Who will join me and drive them from your home before it is too late? Latins raced howling through the streets until they reached the temple of Mars, the god of war. The crowd surged inside, overwhelmed the priests, and threw open the gates, a symbol that war had begun. King Latinus looked on from his balcony in despair. "'Fate has broken you, my people,' whispered the king. "'You will pay for this outrage in blood, and I will have no part of it.' He retreated into his great house and sealed himself inside. The fury Electo soared above the walls of Laurentum, howling with delight. "'All of this I saw from Olympus, and my heart filled with dread for my son,' Juno's fury had done its job, but if war was inevitable, I would not leave Aeneas to face it alone. I'd put this off as long as I could, but the time had come. I would have to ask my husband for a favor. I descended to the bowels of Mount Etna, the fire-belching mountain. The air was thick with fumes of sulfur and ash, and the rank odor of Vulcan's three Cyclope smiths. They were hard at work fashioning the weapons of the Olympians. One pummeled Jupiter's lightning on a great anvil, another crafted wheels for Apollo's chariot, while the third repaired the breastplate of Mars. I found Vulcan at his forge, examining Minerva's shield, his scarred, sooty face twisted in an ugly grimace when he saw me. He had never liked being interrupted at work. "'My love,' I purred, wrapping my arms around his hulking shoulders. "'You know that I would not trouble you if it were not important.' I did not ask for anything through the entire Trojan War, though those people could have benefited greatly from your weapons. But now it is my own son I fear for. Vulcan grimaced, but I could already see his resolve breaking. That was why he worked so hard. He never learned to say no. The Cyclopes smiths looked up as Vulcan howled for them to stop their work. Today, they would make something new, something worthy of a goddess's son. Aeneas lay on the grass beside the Tiber River, staring up at the constellations. The Trojans had continued work on their fort late into the night, but the sawing and hammering had finally ceased. He had learned what had happened at Laurentum, how Latinus had sealed himself away, handing over the city's power to Turnus. It was only a matter of time before the Trojans were at war again. The sound of something moving through the water alerted Aeneas, and he sat up with a start. A man was standing at the center of the river, draped in a blue-gray linen that seemed to merge with the mist. A messy crown of water reeds adorned his hair— he looked at my son and smiled. Son of Venus, said the river god, I've heard your thoughts as you sit on my bank, pondering the looming war. You think to flee, to abandon the home the gods have chosen for you. Aeneas started to protest, but he could not deny it. Then what am I to do? he cried. Turnus amasses an army from all the tribes of Italy. "'We are just a few hundred strong and have no friends or allies.' "'Do not be so sure of that,' smiled the god. "'Take my river north, and you will find the city of Palantium, home of the Arcadians. Their King Evander is no friend to the Latins. "'Tell him of your plight, and you may find you have more in common than you expect.' With that, he sank into the Tiber, disappearing from sight. I wondered how my son felt then, as he stared into the dark waters. He'd been visited by one deity after another ever since he left Troy. They'd brought him promises and prophecies. He'd followed every instruction, no matter how veiled or cryptic. And where had it led him, but back to where it all began. Back to the gates of war. Coming up, Aeneas searches for allies while Turnus launches his attack. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Now back to the story. The gates of war had been flung open. Juno had turned the hearts of the Latins against Aeneas, causing them to take up arms under the warrior Turnus. And as this dark storm cloud grew on the horizon, Aeneas received yet another task. The god of the river Tiber had sent him north to seek allies amongst the Arcadians. It seemed my son had one last journey in store. The Trojans received Aeneas's news with a mixture of alarm and resignation— It was not the first time their leader had changed plans at a whim, and they'd learned to take it in stride. You could not expect logic from a man who spoke to the gods. Ascanius was less understanding. How can you leave at a time like this? he protested, following Aeneas to the ships waiting on the river. Our people have followed you around the world, and you're going to abandon them when they need you most? We need allies to stand a chance against the Latins, Aeneas explained. Besides, I'm not leaving the Trojans completely undefended. You will lead them while I'm gone. Ascanius stopped short, not sure he'd heard his father correctly. Keep working on fortifications as long as possible, Aeneas told him. The moment you see the Latins pull back inside the walls, they should hold until I return. And when will that be? Ascanius demanded. Aeneas paused on the ramp and turned to face his son. He shrugged helplessly. When the gods decide, he promised. I have never seen a more grim departure. My grandson stood on the shore, watching his father disappear into the distance, wondering if he would ever see him again. It hurt Aeneas even more to leave him with that heavy burden, the weight of all the Trojan lives. Ascanius' destiny had come too soon. Aeneas sailed north with two ships and enough men to fill them. The river's current ran strong, and they made swift progress. From time to time, the men caught sight of water nymphs coursing through the water beside them. They pushed aside any debris or fallen trees that blocked the ship's path, shepherding the Trojans on their way with utmost haste. When Aeneas saw a gleaming tower peeking over the treetops, he gave the order to run the ships ashore. The Trojans had been on dry land for only a few minutes when they stepped through the trees into a clearing crowded with strangers in the midst of a religious ceremony. Incense rose from an altar smeared with blood before an effigy representing a great warrior. Both parties froze instantly. Certain that these must be the Arcadians, Aeneas stepped forward to announce himself. It was then that he recognized the ceremony unfolding before him, as well as the style of garb worn by the strangers. These men were Greeks. The river god had sent Aeneas into the arms of his oldest enemies. The Trojans locked ranks, drawing their swords while the Arcadians scrambled for their spears. Both sides formed battle lines in an instant, ready for the impending clash. Aeneas eyed the soldier across from him. He was many years older than Ascanius, but still a young man. His armor had the look of nobility, and around his waist he wore a richly illustrated sword belt adorned with gold leaves. "'What is your purpose here?' the young Arcadian shouted. "'Speak, strangers!' Before Aeneas could respond, a much older man pushed forward into the clearing. His eyes were wide with wonder as they fixed on Aeneas. "'Anchises?' he gasped. Aeneas almost laughed as he realized the truth. "'You mistake me, sir,' he said. "'Anchises was my father. Were you friends or foes?' If Anchises had any foes, I was not one of them, the man replied. I am Evander, king of the Arcadians, and this is my son, Pallas, he said, gesturing to the younger man with the golden sword belt. You can tell your men to lower their spears. I came to this land long before that war over Helen. You will find I have no ill will toward Trojans. Relieved, Aeneas beckoned for his men to do as the king instructed. I'm very glad to hear it, he said, for I am in most dire need of your help. Satisfied that my son was safe for the moment, I turned my gaze to Latium to see what dark schemes Juno had in store next. Turnus had claimed a great house in Laurentum for his war room, where he met with the leaders of the tribes that had joined his cause. The Latin nobles demanded blood, but he cautioned them to wait a little longer. More tribes were on their way. Once the full might of Latium had assembled, he would march on the Trojan fort and raise it from the earth. The work begun with the Trojan horse would be completed at last. The captains accepted his wisdom and left Turnus alone. Or so he thought. An old seer loomed from the shadows, surprising the Rutulian captain. Before he could summon his guards to send her away, she told him why she had come. As I knelt at Juno's altar last night, I received a vision, said the seer. The Trojan leader Aeneas has left his fortress unguarded. Strike now before he returns and you will catch them unprepared. Turnus sneered at her. "'Juno does not care about a war in Latium,' he laughed, dismissing her with a wave. "'Go back to your shrines and leave battle to men.' The seer's eyes flashed with rage. She rose to full height and threw back her shawl, spreading night-black wings to the ceiling. Serpents rose from her coiling hair, and blood poured from her eyes.' Turnus stared aghast as Electo rose before him. "'False alarms?' she laughed in a voice like cracking whips. "'Look at these alarms. I come to you from the abyss with war and death in my right hand. I was the one who stoked the Latins' hearts with rage. If you will not call them to arms, then I will find another who will.' Turnus fell to his knees, prostrate before the fury. He was hers to command, and she, Juno’s, the board was set. At the moment, Aeneas and his comrades were sitting down to supper with Evander and his son Pallas. The king listened intently as Aeneas told him everything. So Latinus has submitted his power to the Rutulians the king said darkly. I warned him not to trust those people. They've preyed on weaker tribes for years, but he ignored them because his own city was not threatened. Turnus will only grow more aggressive with the Latins behind him, Aeneas reasoned. Why not help us stop him? But Evander would not listen. His own forces were only a few hundred riders strong, commanded by his son, Pallas. Even with the Trojans, they would never be enough to stand against all the forces of Latium. Pallas had been listening quietly up to this point, but he could not stay silent any longer. How are we any better than Latinus if we do nothing now? he interjected. These people came here for our help. We dishonor ourselves by turning them away. And for what? If Turnus rules the Latins, there will be nowhere safe in this land. Eventually, he will come for Arcadia, too. Aeneas and Evander looked at the younger man, surprised by his outburst. "'Your son shows wisdom beyond his years,' said Aeneas, fighting a smile. "'He makes your best arguments for you,' the old king grumbled. "'And yes, he is wise, also brave and honest. "'I gave him everything, the best I had.' And that, son of Anchises, is why I cannot help you. If I dishonor my house, so be it. I will not send my people to disaster, nor my son into the lion's jaws. A grim silence hung over the hall. Aside from Pallas, every Trojan and Arcadian there had seen war before. They knew what was coming. I understand, Aeneas said at last. I too have a son, younger than your palace, and yet I left him in harm's way. What else could I do? I trust no one to guard my people better. Somewhere along my journey I realized it was not my legacy I was fighting for, it was his, and he doesn't need me to guard his honor any longer. As the two kings sat there, discussing legacy and honor, Ascanius was watching the Latins approach. They surged across the hills, covering the fields like a great black wave. To my grandson's credit, I never saw him tremble. The fort had been completed not a moment too soon. The Trojans raced to take shelter inside, taking whatever supplies they could carry. Ascanius watched them pour through the gates and wondered where his father was now. Nisus and Euryalus climbed onto the ramparts to join him. We have to get word to your father, Euryalus insisted. I'm our fastest runner. I'll find Aeneas and have him back by dawn. Ascanius shook his head. It's too dangerous, he told them. My father said to pull everyone into the gates when we saw the Latins. He won't be going alone, Nisus replied, throwing an arm over his friend's shoulder. Ascanius considered the pair for a moment. Then he nodded. They were right, Aeneas was their only hope. Nisus and Euryalus climbed down from the ramparts and raced out of the fort. Ascanius watched them dart across the field and disappear into the forest. He turned his attention back to the approaching army, satisfied that his friends had escaped without being seen. At last, all of the remaining Trojans were inside the fort. Ascanius gave the word, and the gates slammed shut. As the sun dipped below the horizon, the approaching army was nearly at the fortress. Ascanius thought he could make out the hulking form of Turnus leading the charge. His grip tightened on his bow, and he reached for an arrow. They were almost in range. But at the last moment, the cavalry turned. Ascanius watched, confused, as they darted across the field, making not for the fort, but for the Tiber River, where the Trojan ships were beached. His eyes widened as he realized Turnus's plan too late. The light of a torch sparked in the darkness, and then another, and a dozen more. War cries echoed across the plains as the riders set the wooden ships ablaze. Ascanius could only watch in horror as the only home he could remember burnt before his eyes. There was no escaping now. The Trojans were trapped. Thanks for joining us for this special episode of Mythology as we retell the Aeneid. This Thursday, we'll complete the story of Aeneas as he defends his new home against Turnus, the Latins, and Juno herself. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast Originals, like Mythology, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythology on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythology in the search bar. If you enjoy Mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every Wednesday, we dive into another dark, classic tale. Mythology will be back on Thursday with another epic story. Mythology was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Mythology was written by Andrew Kelleher, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Vanessa Richardson.